Hello and welcome to the On-Call Consults in Less Than 10 Minute series on ENT in a Nutshell, a complement to Hedner's online survival guide. I'm your host, Will Datar, and today we are joined by Dr. Scott Bevins, a board-certified facial plastic surgeon. In this episode, we will cover frontal bone fractures. Let's jump right in. Fractures of the frontal bones can be broadly categorized based on the sites of fracture, the anterior or posterior table involvement, the frontal sinus outflow tract involvement, and by the degree of displacement. When fractures involve the anterior table of the frontal sinus alone, the primary concerns relate to frontal sinus function and outflow as well as facial deformity secondary to a posteriorly displaced or impacted fracture. Fracture of the posterior table of the frontal sinus can affect sinus function and is frequently associated with intracranial injuries. Potential sequelae include chronic obstruction of the frontal outflow tract leading to chronic sinusitis or mucosal formation, traumatic anosmia, CSF leaks, and herniation of brain tissue. Superorbital rim involvement or orbital roof involvement of the fracture can present with various orbital concerns such as reduced ocular motility or injury to the supratrochlear or supraorbital nerves leading to forehead hypoesthesia. So Dr. Bevins, what are the important associated injuries and sequelae that we should be aware of? Yes, well, as you mentioned, Will, acutely concomitant intracranial injuries are critical to assess for. This includes CSF leaks and frontal lobe injuries. Long-term risks are persistent facial deformity, chronic sinusitis, and in particular, mucosal formation. That is highly relevant. And what are the key supplies that you bring to these consults? As always, appropriate PPE includes a mask, iPro gloves, considering a gown. You want a headlight and an otoscope for pupil examination, a nasal speculum, uh, as well as a flexible rigid endoscope with a monitoring tower if possible. Of note, we're going to be doing rigid endoscopy and looking potentially high in the nose, so a decongestant like oxymetazolin may be useful. And can you describe the physical exam for these uh, fracture consults? As with any trauma patient, we need to make sure the primary and secondary surveys are addressed. But for our full head and neck exam, we're going to pay attention to any associated lacerations, any visible or palpable bony step-offs along the orbital rims and frontal sinus region. We want to perform a good eye examination assessing for proptosis, intracanthal distance, extraocular motions, and visual acuity. We want to check sensation to the forehead and the superorbital in the superorbital and trochlear distributions, as well as for the presence of any rhinorrhea or postnasal drip, which may indicate a CSF leak, especially if it's clear and salty. And if indicated, then perform endoscopic sinus evaluation. So typically a maxillofacial CT scan is obtained prior to the consult, but what imaging do you prefer? A high-res maxillofacial CT is actually the imaging of choice in the short run. Here we're looking for a fracture of the anterior and posterior tables, including involvement of the frontal sinus outflow tract, which we see easiest in the sagittal plane. Look for supraorbital rim, NOE complex, and skull base fractures as well. And screen for any intracranial findings. That can include pneumocephalus, epidural, subdural, subarachnoid hemorrhages, a meningocele, or an encephalocele. And what additional consults do you recommend for these? If there's any orbital involvement, we need an ophthalmology consultation. And if the posterior table is involved or we see pneumocephalus or other intracranial concerns, then we're going to need to involve our neurosurgical colleagues. And can you talk a little bit about the antibiotic recommendations? Antibiotics are often considered for posterior table fractures, um, and we're, co- we're looking to cover common sinus organisms, so usually amoxicillin clavulonic acid or clindamycin is warranted. Although their usage is not totally uniform and probably not valuable in the long term. And can you discuss how you uh, manage CSF leaks? So greater than 50% of CSF leaks will resolve in five to seven days with conservative management. And by conservative management, I mean bed rest, head elevation, 
stool softeners, avoiding Valsalva, and nose blowing. In patients who don't or have a high volume leak, consider CSF diversion using a lumbar drain or extraventricular drain. And that usually the neurosurgeons are helping us manage. Prophylactic antibiotics, again, here, they haven't actually been shown to reduce the risk of meningitis, but we often still use them. And data suggests that surgical repair beyond seven days without spontaneous revolution minimizes that long-term risk of meningitis. CSF leaks uh, in the presence of posterior table displacement, particularly greater than five millimeters, is less likely to resolve without surgical intervention. And so we consider earlier intervention for those people. And can you describe how you decide on the surgical versus non-surgical management of these patients? In general, we want to ask ourselves three questions uh, in order to predict the need for us to surgically address these fractures. The first is the degree of displacement of the anterior and or posterior table. The second is the involvement of the frontal sinus outflow tract. And the third is presence of a CSF leak or other intracranial injury, which would otherwise warrant surgery. For example, for isolated anterior table fractures that are less than two millimeters displaced without a high risk of frontal outflow tract obstruction, uh, these patients usually are just treated with observation and radiographic follow-up. For displacement of the anterior table that's more than two millimeters but less than, say, four to five millimeters, we have a couple of options. If the forehead contour deformity is appreciated once the soft tissue edema dissipates, that can be repaired secondarily. Even for isolated anterior table fractures that may impinge on the frontal outflow tract without a cosmetic deformity, consideration may be given to observation with serial imaging. And then if obstruction develops radiographically, endoscopic management may be uh, used in order to reestablish that normal outflow tract and preserve sinus function. That's often accomplished through a unilateral draft 2B or draft 3 frontal sinusotomy, rather. Conversely, we usually do operate on patients with significantly depressed anterior table fractures when we can already appreciate that there's a contour deformity or those that have significant frontal sinus outflow tract obstruction or with other operative fractures like a rim fracture or NOE fracture. To perform an open reduction internal fixation, traditionally we have approached these using a coronal incision. However, more recently we've been using more and more transorbital approaches or endoscopic only approaches. And you can also use existing overlying lacerations, as well as any number of other well-described surgical approaches like a goal wing or mid-forehead approach, etc. To manage the frontal sinus outflow tract, generally now we perform a functional endoscopic sinus surgery or a frontal sinus obliteration cranialization if severely comminuted. The AO Surgery Reference Foundation has a great management algorithm for these patients. Finally, for displaced posterior table fractures or patients with persistent CSF leaks, those usually we're managing now with cranialization of the frontal sinus. Less likely frontal sinus obliteration as at most centers, the risk of late complications, including mucosal and mucopiocele formation with chronic infection has led to decreasing utilization of obliteration. So generally for a cranialization, we approach these jointly with neurosurgery through a coronal incision performing a frontal craniotomy with preservation of a pericranial flap. The posterior bony fragments are then removed. Um, The dura is inspected and any tears are either primarily repaired or reinforced with fascia lata or a dural matrix graft. That pericranial flap is then used as a second layer over the dural reconstruction. Um, And we need to be sure that all the frontal sinus mucosa is removed with a drill. This ensures that we're evacuating all the mucosal invaginations remaining in the bone 
as well as smoothing it down, this, this dramatically reduces the risk of mucosal development as a late complication. And what follow-up and discharge recommendations do you give to these patients? So sinus precaution, of course, if there's any intraorbital or posterior table fracture. Um, Short-term follow-up, typically in one to two weeks, uh, if we're going to follow this patient, ensure no facial deformity is present after resolution of edema and ensure no CSF leak. Long-term, we, we really need to be following these patients with imaging. Some argue both at six weeks and 12 months um, because it's going to be important to ensure there's no chronic sinusitis or mucosal formation before it becomes symptomatic. Generally, a CT can be used at these intervals for surveillance, although there are certain cases in which an MRI is more helpful for detecting early mucoseals. Thanks, Dr. Bevins. So that concludes our episode on frontal bone fractures. Thanks for listening. 